I'm stepping into the middle of a, a series here with you all um, on stewardship. And uh, I, I want to read a passage, and I'll read it slowly. And I want you to try to pick up the layers. There, it comes with a tremendous blessing, a promise of blessing, and then some pretty serious warnings. And, and, and in 21st century Western Christianity, we, we really are not big fans of all the warnings. We, we, we like to just have this illusion that every, everything's butterflies and rainbows and, and, and everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And that's true eventually, but maybe not this week or this decade or this lifetime. There is a, there's a, there's a bigger, bigger game in play, a bigger prize in view in our life. And so the words of Jesus, so um, regardless of how you emphasize different portions of scripture, Jesus was, was just deadly serious about this heart, this attitude of being managers, of being stewards, which is really all the word ma- steward means is you're, you're a manager. You understand there's been something entrusted to you and it's your responsibility to take good care of it. And it's in Luke twelve thirty five through 48 from the English standard. If you want to read along, I don't know if it got put up on a slide. This is Jesus' strong words. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. You get that image? It's just kind of waiting. Okay, as soon as I hear the doc, I'm going to open him up and let it in. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, and this, this is a mind-blowing promise in that culture. Okay, He will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. So that's this great promise. The master becomes the servant and, and, and takes on this very unbecoming role of serving. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Peter here asks a, a very legitimate question. Lord, are you, are you telling this parable for just us, or for everyone? And Jesus answers it in a, in a um, basically, well, it's for you if you're paying attention. Who then is the faithful and wise manager? Whom? His master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time to supply their needs. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. It's a pretty graphic warning. Put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know, i.e. the will of his master, and did what deserved a beating, will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given him, of him much will be required. And from, to, from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. 
This is, this is kind of one of those passages when we're reading, we just want to go, yeah, I don't know what that means. Get me, get, let's go back to the rainbows and puppies stuff. I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to think really, really positive, happy thoughts about my relationship with Jesus, and we, we lose sight of the sacred trust of management. And So let me pray for our time this morning. That's, that's really the theme, is, is trying to get our head out of the idea that we're independent moral creatures walking around with our Jesus necklace, our, our, our external thing, but really in this fundamental relationship with an authority that we'll give an account to. Let me pray. Father, I I do bless you for this picture of how you see, this isn't the only way you see things, but Lord, this is an important part of how you see our relationship with you. And I pray, God, we would be sober this morning. We would, we would understand that we are, we are people who stand before a holy and awesome God who, who is the, and, and Jesus, you've been handed um, the keys to the kingdom. You've been handed all authority in heaven and in earth, and, and you've, you've, you've set yourself in our midst as our king, as our head, as our bridegroom, and asked us, God, to follow you faithfully. And so we want to approach the scriptures today and these ideas with a sense of your right your right, your inherent right, your worthiness in light of all you've done to redeem us, to have that kind of attitude in our hearts that we would see you as the owner of it all. In Jesus' name. You know, before we get started, um, I'm, we've been facing a few things that are going on in life, and I just wondered if I could ask, is there anybody that would be compelled this morning? I could use like a hundred bucks. Has anybody got a hundred bucks? You got him, Bobby? Cool. Just pass it right up the middle there. No, right up the middle. Thank you. Just keep coming right up there. You bring that up here, please, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Bobby. My wife will. We're going to go out for dinner. I have a big, we've got, this is a big day for me. My wife has been in Reno with our sick oldest daughter for a couple weeks, and she's, after we get done with our uh, shindig this afternoon, I get to go to the airport and pick her up, so I'm I'm pretty excited. It's been, I I do not like being away from her. Okay, in this scripture, we have this picture of a managerial role. Um, steward, stewardship, all those words are the same idea. And, the, and, and please understand, this is one significant way that we relate to God. God relates to us in these very relational pictures of who he is. He doesn't, he doesn't give us abstract ideas and, and, and um, hard to understand concepts. He says, I am a husband. I am a king, master. I am, um, I'm, I'm, I am the, the comforter. I am, I'm friend. I'm brother. I'm, he gives us all these relational ways. So we have a, a human picture to go, okay, I know what that is. I know how to respond to that kind of person. Does that make sense? So he, he's not giving us hard to understand things. Just a fundamental, this is who I am, this is how you are to relate to me in your affections, in the way you see me. He thinks of your, we're part of his body, this, this interrelationship. Well, we can, oh yeah, I, I get that. You know, all these parts work together and he's the head. What he's calling for here in this passage is an active responsiveness. An active responsiveness, not passive, not apathetic, not, oh, I'll sit here, but, 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 but looking for, you see this, I'm waiting, I'm, I'm, give me something to do, I want to do a good job, I want to respond to you well as servant. 
They're not just waiting, lounging around. Well, at least the ones who receive the blessing aren't. The last half of that passage is a little different. So we're responsive to the person. The person who is the owner. What are their needs? What do they want from me? How can I serve a person? We're going to be actively following and waiting for. And when we take those orders and we go. But we're also aware of the responsibilities that have already been handed to us. There's, there's a scope of our job that's been handed to us. This is, this is what our master says is faithfulness. This is what is required. So we see, see this active response to both the person and his to-do list. His, his sense of this is what I consider faithfulness. And the righteous one, the one who will receive reward, looks and goes, okay, I'm ready. And I'm active doing my thing and I'm ready to respond to the person. We see these, these examples of the person who is not ready. They weren't paying attention. I mean, how do we do that? Well, fundamentally, we have to lose sight of our identity in that relationship. I mean, can you, if you can imagine just going to work and, and sitting in the break room all day, and, and the boss comes in and goes, what are you doing? What do you mean? Well, we have work to do. What do you mean? You work here. <laughs> You're supposed to be working. You work, I pay you. Huh? I was wondering why I keep showing up here. I've completely lost sight of what I was doing, who I am in this relational context of being an employee. And when it comes to God, we, 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 we neglect that cultivating of this right understanding. And we can, I don't know if we intellectually forget, but practically we can live like that relationship is not in place. It's not intact. And, and we drift into this apathy and, and I don't know if you caught this reading through the passage. I encourage you to go back and look again. There's, there's three kinds of people. There's the one that, that knows the right thing to do and actively chooses to do wrong, evil. And, and they're the ones that get cut into pieces, which I, I hope that's a metaphor. I, I don't know. I trust the Lord has, has, a, has a right way to deal with that kind of person. I certainly know he's not going to be unjust. But then there's this person... Who, who knows what to do and they just get apathetic. They get, they get just casual. I knew what I was supposed to do. I just didn't feel like doing it for whatever reason. And I would say many of us are in that camp. And they, they receive a severe beating, slightly better. And then there's the person who just doesn't know what he was supposed to do. It wasn't defined, they didn't understand it. Even them, there's an implication, look, you should have been, you should have been actively responding to this, this person and the responsibility. It's your job as a servant to figure out what to do. You do not get a free pass. Because I, I just never bothered to ask what I was supposed to be doing. So I just sat around here waiting for somebody to tell me what to do. And they too, regardless I hope you can see this dramatic difference between this amazing picture of, of, of the master of the universe serving the servants and the tremendous blessing, the tremendous glory, the tremendous peace and joy that would flow from that rather than there is no kind of middle ground. You, I'm just kind of neutral towards. He doesn't give us that. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm not even going to do nothing. 
You either, God is this God of extremes, this massive, lavish blessing to those who are faithful and a sense of discipline, a sense of correction for those who are not. And it's a funny thing about our, our, our um, humanity, our stated intention by our actions and choices, not necessarily our conviction, is we're, we're always trying to find that kind of middle ground place. Because it's not, there, there is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. There's a place of blessing and there's a place of discipline. And it comes down to our responsiveness to him. Great blessing or curse. When we think about resources, here's a little math quiz for you. And, and, and I'm sh- sure you'll pass this. Um, your, your net check is $1,585.67. You also have some rental income of $340 per month. You have a few stock dividends of $43. I hope you're getting this because you're going to have to add it quickly in your long, head. You have a business profit of $1,250 and you have roughly monthly expenses of 1000 bucks. How much of all of that belongs to God? All of it. But that's not how you think. You know the right answer. But that is not how you manage your money. It is completely counterintuitive. We're always doing the math, trying to figure out how much is God's and how much is mine. Greg mentioned you're gonna, there's going to be a class of Dave Ramsey. I, I don't even know... It's just my opinion. It's a great tool. We've used it. It's been very helpful to a number of our people. But I would not consider it fundamentally a, 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 a biblical picture of handling money. There's biblical wisdom. There's wonderful tools. It's a great tool to do. But I take serious, serious complaints against one of his phrases. And I'll bet you can finish it for me. Live like no one else so you can... That's not, that's ungodly. We have not been placed with the tools and the resources that God has given us to live a phrase that says live like no one else so I can live, so I can live like no one else. I am supposed to live like no one else so others may live. That is a biblical idea of your stewardship of God's stuff. Your intention is not to somehow increase your personal standing. It is to, to, to steward a life of resources and energy and time so that life may flow into this planet. Because if you really believe the answer to the quiz, you would, you would be done with that phrase. We do not live like no one else to live like no one else. We live in light of the stewardship that God has given us with everything we have. Time, treasure, and talent so that others may live, so that life may flow through our life. We'll read a passage out of Malachi. We've been studying through for um, a month or so up at Beggar's Gate, the book of Malachi in and out based on the week, a few interruptions, but I've been just spending a lot of time in it. If you want to just have your head messed with a little bit on how God sees things, Malachi is a book, um, there's a couple books that are kind of beginning to end, God just goes, this is how it feels. Hosea is one of those, Malachi is one of those. You get a picture into the heart of God. 
The whole book is this, this question back and forth, this query back and forth, and God is saying, this is what that, this is how I experience your actions and choices. This is what it, this is how it lands in my heart. And I love it about that. And my, my favorite translation, um, because it's so clear, and I think they do a very good job, is the new living. If you want to just see the heart of God in this arena of what, what, what is, what does life following God look like? What is, what is his, his heart intention for the, his people? I'd encourage you to read through the entire book. It's very short, four chapters. You read it probably less than three minutes. And the New Living is, is just does a really good job. But I want to look at this section on, on, on giving. And he goes through in the book of Malachi several things. He goes, I have a problem with this. And this is how it feels. And he goes through several arenas. And, and, and the tithe is one of those. Malachi 3, 6 through 10. This tremendous picture of the heart of God, his character, his, his ownership of everything. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of God, children of Jacob, are not consumed. The only reason, because what I feel like right now is consuming you. That's what he's saying. I, that's the only reason I'm not going to do that is because I don't change and I made promises. From the days of the fathers, from your fathers, you have turned away from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, and, and, and you just see this clueless response from the people over and over again. Huh? What do you mean? What are we doing? Why are you so upset all the time? How shall we return? And then God responds, will man rob God? You are robbing me. But you say, what? How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test. The only time in the Bible this is mentioned. I'll prove it to you. I will prove it to you. The very word of God, the promise of God is, put me to the test. Put me to the test. I will not lie. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now please keep in mind, this is not a promise for prosperity. Do you catch that? I will pour out a blessing so there's no need. You will have enough. You will be blessed. But it's not with some odd standard of Mercedes Benz. Um, this is my conviction, and I and I'm gonna I'm going to defer to Greg and Rich and, and Brad in terms of how they, how they see this. My personal place, and, I, and I'm at odds with some of the pastors I serve with up in Fort Collins on this, not in contention, but I'm just going to share my conviction. I don't believe a tithe is a New Testament command. Okay, I, I don't believe that. I believe the New Testament standard is actually much higher. But I do believe that it is an excellent standard for making sure that I keep everything pure and clear. My personal standard, my regular proportional giving, that like on a month-in, month-out basis, is somewhere between 12 and 14%, just because I don't even want to get close to the minimum standard. I just want to stay away from it. As, a, as, a, as Over the course of the year, I try to give away between um, 20 and 30% of my income. That's my standard. And I have put God to the test. I have put God to the test. 
That's where I've landed. I think the heart of the New Testament heart is generous, joyful, sacrificial, in light of the kingdom and, and eternity. Love compels me to not look for the, 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 the minimum thing I could need to do so God doesn't get ticked off. I want to stay away from that fence. I want to stay away from that border. We really have a couple resources. Really only one. It's time. We manage our time. We trade our time to get money. We, tr- we trade our time to get money because we think we, we, what, we, what we really want is what money will buy us. A certain standard of living, a certain level of security. The fundamental stewardship that we have is time and yet we trade so much of it to survive and to eat and to be sheltered and to plan for the future. But do we have a joyful, sacrificial, in light of eternity, in light of the lavish grace of God, do we, do, we, do, we, do we see that as something that he possesses? It's all his. All of your time is his. By the way, if you really believe that theology, everybody had the right answer? All of his time is his. All of our time is his. All of our money is his. All of our energy is his. All of our gifts are his. And I believe the tithe is a really, really good heart check. See, there's a, there's a myth floating around that there's a finite amount of time and money. There's a finite amount of time and money. You can actually buy more time. You can actually buy more time if you have enough money. But if God's the supplier of money, and you're not managing that well, there's a good chance you're going to be short on both. There's a good chance you'll be short on both. There's a few reasons we struggle with this issue. Number one is ignorance. We just we didn't know. We were like the third little group of servants that ended up getting the 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 kind of minor beating. I just didn't know. When I came to Jesus thirty five years ago, thirty six years ago, I didn't know this was the standard. And about a year, maybe a year now, it was several months into our. It might have been over a year of marriage. Somehow somebody passed a little cassette tape, which all the messages were passed around on cassette tapes. And I was down working in my shop in the basement and, and I listened to this message and, and just there was this spirit of conviction that flowed over me. I go, whoa, I had no idea. I ran upstairs and I, and I, I said, honey, you know what? We need to tithe. And she didn't know what that word meant. Um, as neither did I before I listened to that message. Well, what does that mean? We need to give away 10% of our gross income to, to God immediately as a first fruit. And my wife, she would tell you she's standing here. Her number one coping mechanism is fear. Um, anything new, anything threatening, she's like, ah! <laughs> um, And there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And because she was helping to, to, to manage the resource, she goes, are you like crazy? Do you know how tight things are? I don't care. I don't care. God says, test me. I want to test him. This would be cool. And she's going, ah! <laughs> I don't want to test him. <laughs> I don't have a normal, rational experience of fear. Um, it's not commendable. It gets me in trouble. But I, I just don't react that way very often. And, 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 and I, I realized this was 35 years ago, but um, I think that year we made $8,000, which kind of a decent blue-collar job would have been sixteen or $18,000 a year. So we were not making very much money. We had a, a baby girl, and I had a temporary job, 
And we wrote that first check and took it in there and she was just like panicking, freaking out in her soul, though she kept smiling as she does and was willing to trust me kind of, sort of. And, and, and away we went. The very next day or the two days after that, I was called into my boss's office and said, and he said, um, I'm sorry, uh, the, the city caught on to us. Uh, you, we, have to, we have to get rid of you. I had a 90-day commitment that I was, or a 90-day position that I had been in for 15 months. God's provision. Yeah, the city pulled the plug. I immediately went, oh Lord, this is, this is the, this is how you reward those who trust you, put you to the test. And I immediately went out into this remote little shop area and I began singing, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. And I got my heart, I, I grieved and I, and I sang and I, and I trusted and, 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 and within, 24 or 48 hours, I got another phone call of a job I had applied for a year before. I got on the list of civil service. I got on the list. They hired somebody else. I did not miss a day of work. My salary doubled. I had all benefits. And for the next 10 years, God abundantly supplied through that job as I became one of the highest paid blue collar workers. When I became a pastor and I was a blue collar worker, I had to take a pay cut. God had blessed in every conceivable way. And I'm so glad I tested him. He still puts us to the test, but never with the tithe. Never with the tithe. It, 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 you get to a point where it's, it's, it's almost too easy. Second reason is you can be, it seems like a lot of money. It seems like a lot of money. We have an illusion about our money. We would say theological, it's God's. Theologically, it's God's. But in our head, somehow, it's not. Do you know why Bobby so quickly was able to give $100 quickly, just like that? I just gave it to her. I just gave it to her. How many people touched that 100 bucks? Raise your hands if you touched the 100 bucks. Why didn't you keep it? I mean, it was in your hand, right? Why didn't you keep it? Tell, give, I don't ask rhetorical questions, but it's not yours. It's not yours. In fact, if, if, if somebody would have taken it and stuck it in their pocket, the whole room would have gone, what are you doing? That's not yours. There's a delusion with the tithe. Somehow the, the money comes into our hand and, and, our, and, and we, we grasp it and we squeeze it. And we go, mine. This is mine. And there's some kind of hard decision. Instead of seeing God, just the standard is, well, here's, here's, here's everything. It's all yours, Lord. Take what you want. I'll take 10%. Perfect. Next week I might want more. It's all yours anyway. Who cares? I trust you. See, our problem in this is we, we take possession of something that is never intended to be ours. You don't live like no one else so you can live like no one else. You live as a subject to a, a master. Whatever you have is his to give or take away and to trust. And if we can't get that heart issue down, we, we, we just grab it. We squeeze it. It's stealing God's money. When we do not give what he has asked us to give. 
The Old Testament standard is tithing. I believe the New Testament standard is significantly more than that. Especially when we're as rich as we are in this country. I know you don't feel rich, you're rich. Come with me to Nepal. Come with me to Nepal. You think, no, I don't have enough. I need more. Third thing that can cause us to really struggle with this is fear. We're fearing the wrong thing. You're just fearing the wrong thing. The whole book of Malachi is you're fearing the wrong thing. That Luke's passage, dude, you are fearing the wrong thing. The master is coming back and he will, you will give an account. I'm not a fearful person. The, there are a couple things. I'm getting a little more fearful of heights and things as I get older. But I used to, I mean, it just, it, it just didn't bother me. I'd stand on the edge of a cliff. It's just like, you know, you, you, your knees start to wobble. That starts to happen now. But it, never in my history. I'm not a fearful person, but I am deathly afraid of missing the blessing of God or to know that somehow I dishonored him with my attitude towards my stuff, time, treasure, and talents. I am afraid of that. What a colossal waste of a life. If I get to the end of it and go, dude, I gave you this, this, and this. And I ask you to be faithful with it. And you live like no one else so you could live like no one else. That's not why I gave it to you. It's his. The third one is stinginess, greed, ungratefulness. I think is maybe the, the, the easiest way. That we're, we're just not very grateful. We don't understand the blessing that we've been shown, that we've been given from the hand of God. And I, I want to take you on a journey of a day. Okay, imagine, I mean, I, as I was walking up the sidewalk and saw people sitting outside and it's just, it's just a beautiful Colorado morning. It's the right temperature. The sun is shining. I don't know if you have birds down here. I live downtown Loveland. We don't have any birds, so I don't hear birds chirping, but imagine there were actually birds and they're singing sweetly in the trees and a, and a dad goes in and, and, and gets his, his, his little elementary age boy out of bed. Son, I got a great day for you today. Come on, we're going to have an adventure. And he gets them out and they, he cooks them a great breakfast and he just, just showering him with, I love you so much. I am so proud of you. I'm so delighted you're my son. And they go fishing, they go to the park and they just have this amazing day. And the dad just intentionally saying, you have no idea how much I want to bless you. You have no idea how much I love you. I wish, I wish I could pull my heart out and tell you and show you. And this little boy is just soaking in. Man, my dad loves me. This is awesome. This is awesome. And he's just resting and reveling in his dad's love and blessing and lavish treatment of him during the day. And on their way home, they go, hey, you want to go to McDonald's? Yeah. Love McDonald's. All right. They pull into the drive-through window and, and, and dad says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm really not hungry, so, but you get whatever you want. So he gets, gets some French fries and a happy meal or whatever and, and he's just sitting there. And there's very few things on the planet, bacon, grilling anything, and McDonald's French fries that you just smell them and go, ooh, ooh. Even if you're really, really healthy, they're really hard to resist. Can't eat that. It'll kill me, but oh, let me anyway. (laughs) 
They're really good. And so that smell just kind of drifts into the father's nose and the son's peering into his bag. He's kind of munching on french fries and dad just kind of casually as they're driving along reaches over to, to snag a french fry out of the, out of the bag. And, and, and as he's reaching, the, 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 the little boy just goes, hey, those are mine. That's what you do to God. When you, when, you, when you refuse to acknowledge that all you have is his. Now, if I was that dad, I would have a little talk. Son, they're not your french fries. They're my french fries. And if I wanted to, I could bury you in french fries. <laughs> I don't need your stinking french fries. But it would be nice if you were grateful enough to share them with me. And to acknowledge where that blessing came from. And in our giving, in our heart towards God, we get down to the end of our french fries and there's a couple little burnt ones and we go, okay, okay, here God, you can have these. (laughs) And we call it generosity. We call it gratefulness. We call it a righteous response to the grace and blessing of God. I'd urge you not to be thinking that way towards God. Mistakes we can make, I'm thinking about tithing real briefly. We think it's about the money. We think it's about the money. It's never about the money. It's always about the heart. It's always about our affection. It's always about our affections. What do we love? What are we grateful for? The other thing that where we can miss, we, we think we're giving to men. I don't want to give it to you. I don't trust you. In fact, in churches, the number one thing, when someone's got a beef, the first thing to go is giving. I don't trust them. They might go to Tahiti or something. I'm not, I'm not going to give it to them. You're not giving it to men. You're giving it to God. In fact, the, fan, the standard in every church I've pastored, go, look, if you can't trust me to manage it, tithe somewhere else. I don't care. I just don't want you to be at odds with your master. You are a servant, and you're to manage. Give it away. You, can get, you don't have to give it to me. You don't have to give it to me, but give it away. Third one is, we make the mistake of believing that partial obedience is not disobedience. Yeah, I'll give you 8.65%, God. I'll, I'll, out of that whole first fruit thing, I'll give you 10% of, of my net. Because after all, I really don't get any value. I don't like roads, I don't like the military, I don't like anything, so I don't, I don't really need what my taxes pay for. I don't get any benefit from that. Yeah, you do. Those are goods and services you are paying for. How much do you make? Move the decimal point, write a check. What a sad thing. To, to, to suffer the curse of Malachi 3, which it's a curse, for a percent or two. What a, what a sad story. I almost was faithful. Remember the no middle ground thing? Remember the no middle ground thing? No, no, no. I'm sorry. That doesn't, doesn't cut it. You're faithful or you're unfaithful? You're faithful or you're unfaithful? You're not almost faithful. You don't get partial credit for partial obedience. You get a blessing or you get a curse. I think I can massage a middle ground. We think we are such good salesmen. Somehow we are gonna, we're going to manage God. You will not. Either rest in his grace and his promise 
where you experience his discipline. There is no middle ground. You step into this. The other great mistake is we think there's a limited supply of money. It's one of the great fallacies of economics. People just don't understand. Well, I gotta get my piece. Well, no, no, no. In God's economy, the pie gets bigger. There is no limit. There is no, okay, this is all there is. It's as big as he needs it to be because he makes it all and he owns it all and he can do whatever he wants with it. And I, I, I wish I could tell you stories. I have seen very little areas of my life that God has used more than finances to teach me about his character, his generosity, his promises, who he is and what he does is the area of money. You may have financial issues. You think, well, once I'm out of debt, I'll be faithful. The tithe is not one more bill. The tithe is not part of your credit management system. It belongs to God. Whatever that proportional generous giving is in your world, it belongs to God. It's not an option. It's not to, we're not going to do a, a, a debt snowball on what belongs to God. It's not a debt. A tithe is not a bill. It is to God and it's completely different. And I would just urge you, for those of you who have been faithful in tithing for years, and I know there's many in this room, I would ask you, is that really, is that really what God would say is honoring to him? Expresses your faith, your level of trust, your level of delight in him? I, I, I think we can, we can just start doing that. It's automatic. It just, there's no longer any faith required. And that's why I upped mine. It didn't take any faith anymore. It was, just, it was so simple and easy. I didn't even have to think about it. There was no conscious choice. And I don't ever want to make a decision that does not require me to go, this, I'm going to bring faith to this. I'm going to bring trust to this. And so if you're in that place, I just ask God, is this, is this the proportion that, that honors you? If you've never trusted God, if you've never trusted God with your tithe, if you've never put him to the test, I, I just, I beg you to consider those promises. Your whole life, because it's not about your money, it's about your heart. There's so many hooks in your heart to get cleaned up. When you go, this is God's, it's all God's, you had the right answer, and yet in your life, you're struggling to believe God can really take care of you, or will take care of you. We get trapped in that American standard that I want, a, I want a certain lifestyle and we trade a lifestyle for the abundant life. We, 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 God offers one thing and we say, no, I'd rather have this. And the vast majority of believers who do not practice this form of propor- proportional giving, God still honors those promises even if it's just the 10%. He still honors it. I've never met anyone who tithe who long-term struggled to, to manage their world. Doesn't mean they're rich. But over time, I've I've never met anyone long-term who consistently tithes, who over the long haul, there's seasons, I've had seasons. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? The end always proves himself true. And I, I plead with you, I plead with you to be a person who puts him to the test. Let's close with this phrase. Those who give are not always thankful, but everyone who's thankful gives. Everyone who is thankful gives. Let me pray. Father, I bless you for the truth that you've given us in your word, and I pray we would be people who respond to who you are and what you've done, what you've promised to do.
God, I, I, I don't want to be a stingy little boy hoarding French fries. God, I want to be a man who, who trusts you to take in and out of my hand at your discretion. You are the master. I am the servant. And I want to serve you with my whole heart. In Jesus' name, amen.